weekend environments, a sanctuary of sound. Hi, my name is Mino Cristante. Weekend Environments, a Sanctuary of Sound. This is a weekly podcast by myself in which I discuss with others various topics of audiophile, but I am also distributor for the Illuminous Audio Gravitas speaker system and the Velvet Mini Isolation vibration component module, which is a foot component for audio components to enhance their performance. And today I'm with Luke Zitterkopf of Illuminous Audio. He is speaker designer and inventor exemplar of other technologies that he's working on presently. How are you doing today, Luke? Great, Mino. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. I hear that you were up in the mountains. Uh, is it mountainous where you have your bug out hideout? Yeah, we we live in a great part of the uh, of uh, Washington State, so we have a lot of mountains and rural area. It's nice to disconnect every now and then. Fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed visiting with you last week at the test facility for the Gravitas speaker system. And it was great to see what goes into making the Gravitas and what you have been at as far as your latest technological machinations go. Suffice it to say that, uh, while newer is not always better, in fact, maybe rarely is it better. Uh, and that even though one might suffer from what I believe you have termed as a recency bias, does that mean that a product, because it's newer, is perceived as being improved? I sure think so. It's kind of uh, a lethal trap for any manufacturer is making products just for the sake of releasing something new versus truly an improvement. So I think one of the best, there's a lot of that, whether there is a new product and whether it's an improvement on a previous model, that's there. The jury is out on that one. And I find interesting about the Gravitas system is the incorporation of ancient or shall we say well developed mature technologies along with the latest in innovative design <clears throat> as far as loudspeakers go i wanted to visit with you today about a a mysterious and a myth or a mythical subject about monitor speakers and i would call this episode uh, the battle of mid-range the mid-range performance of monitor speakers 
typically perceived as the Achilles heel of smaller monitor speaker setups. And I know there's a number of very successful and deeply long lived established speaker companies that have made it their business to work on and develop a mid-range solution. What are your thoughts on this concept of monitor mid-range? Is it an actual weakness by design? Are there's a constant mitigation that has to take place in order to make it an even playing field with other types of speakers? Yeah, I really feel that monitors have been given a, a bad rap by possibly some reviews. Um, and also I think just of uh, a misconception about what makes a monitor, a small monitor, such a great speaker for a wide, ray, wide, wide range of listeners. And the myth is about the, uh, a monitor not having enough mid-range punch or enough mid-range just volume. And while you, uh, the smaller the speaker usually cannot play as loud in total as a, as a bigger speaker with bigger drivers and more drivers, it's kind of similar to the, uh, the old saying about amplifiers, if the first watt it doesn't sound good, who cares about the rest? I personally feel like monitors are the exact same. If the first quarter decibel of sound that can come out of there isn't great, louder is definitely not better. And in fact, it's much, much worse. The louder it goes, the worse it sounds. So that's been my experience. And I run into it quite a bit of people that would say, well, I've never owned any pair of smaller monitors because I just didn't think they could play loud enough. And I do have to try to answer that with a straight face without laughing and say, well, what do you know what decibel you like to listen at? <laughs> yeah. Not too many people really know. Not many people sit around with a meter or an app on their phone and, and measure what it is. But people do usually find out that somewhere around 78 dB to possibly 80 is about as loud as they would ever listen to, even just for one track. And a well-designed monitor such as ours can easily play with no dis audible distortion whatsoever at those volumes. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, so when a room fills up like a reservoir that's gonna contain a certain amount of vibratory energy, the decibel algorithm is a numerical way of describing ear bleed when it's too mm -hmm. loud. Um, <clears throat> what is interesting to me is the, and I'm sure I have a lot of commenters that will correct me here. And of course, because I'm so flawless, so rarely do I get a comment that corrects me no more <laughs> than I say, I'd say, you know, one out of a hundred don't correct me in some way, but the, uh, I think at CES when there, when there was a CES per se, I think there was a general rule. If you walk by the room and 78 is coming out of the doorway, 
you're playing too loud for your neighbors who are trying to present their wares and may have a live room, have, may be having sound. But the whole concept of loudness, which has now become a technical term that's quantitative in the Adobe Creative Cloud family of video editing, Adobe Premiere, and other products that incorporate sound, they actually have a loudness setting. And uh, the whole concept of what we used to call, what I would call volume, the volume of, the, of a component, really telling us about the volume of the room, how full is the room of the mechanical energy? What happens to, when you get halfway into what we would call as I'm a layman, the mid-range area of Hertz, audible Hertz spectrum. Why is it a perception that because the monitor is tiny, it can't deal effectively in that range? Do you think it's a perception or do you think it's basically it is a mechanical challenge that a designer such as yourself needs to overcome as far as i can tell <clears throat> it's entirely a perception to the listener and if i had to guess and i could certainly be wrong but this is a, a stab in the dark because so long ago uh most speakers including monitors became ported designs so i think what happened with that is and you mean by port ported you mean uh, an open cavity in the enclosure or? Yeah, yeah. So where you have an enclosure and there is some kind of a tube opening that's considered a port that is built in there to uh, extend or amplify some of the lower frequency that the, the speaker can do. And what happens with that, like any design, there's a trade-off. It does increase some of the low extension of a mid-range driver at the expense of accuracy. So while it is louder, it's um, in a sense tipped to a, in, a, in a distorted way to where it's overly loud in a low frequency area to where the, the reason this started was uh, a lot of the stores where people would listen to a demonstration, they would hear some monitors in a huge store, big space. Mm -hmm. And say, wow, those small speakers had great bass. And this, the store clerk would say, they sure do. So that's the speaker for you. And this happened um, with all kinds of speakers, big speakers as well. And I think it just kind of set the tone for people expecting more bass than would be natural or neutral, especially to the more discerning listeners saying that just has a real flabby, loose bass to, to the sound. So years later, uh, I feel like more companies pursuing accuracy with monitors at least had some models that moved away from a ported design and tried to be more musical and accurate with a monitor because that's really what 
they do so well, they figure, well, why not? If they're already good at this, let's let them do their best thing and therefore supplement them with a active subwoofer to fill in the low range. So that's partly why we have done our design that way. But I think a lot of listeners for so many decades have listened to all kinds of speakers, including monitors that were ported that had, um, I guess what I would say, unnaturally large bass response. And it was at the expense of tonal accuracy every single time. There's, there's no escaping that of. Because that low frequency is, it takes longer (laughs) to iterate. Yeah. And then you've got the residual reverberant back tones from that initial heavy, stronger, but slower frequency range. It would be like, instead of dropping a little pebble in a pond, it would be like, hey, I think I'll just do a backflip and, and then a belly flop myself into the pond. <laughs> then... Yeah, all, all from a, from a small, small-ish, small to medium-sized driver and enclosure. And so we're trying to please a customer. And in the process, what you are doing is maybe showing up the monitor. So now that means that showing up the mid-range. So now the mid-range is, doesn't seem to be as effective as the proverbial low end. And I really compare this phenomenon as far as how this happens um, back in the heyday of brick and mortar stores where speakers and equipment that had a naturally warm slash distorted sound towards the warm side of things sold really well. And that isn't surprising. And there's, it's not that there's anything wrong with it either. It's just from an analysis standpoint, what's happening? Why does it sound warm? And some, why do some people prefer that? But generally speaking, it's because they've never heard um, a truly musical system and speaker. Most times when, once people hear that, it's kind of though the veil has been dropped and they see the slash hear the music for what it actually is. And they won't go back to the more distorted warm equipment or speakers or setup because they'd heard something that was so revealing and involving and clear especially in the low range side of things that the soft warm sound is pleasant but once you know that a lot of that's distortion it's kind of hard to go back it's interesting because when you look at the traditional organization and location in an orchestra when you see the bass-oriented instruments, let's say the timpani, percussion, they're way back in the back. And it's not because they're just not as important. It's because they have a tendency to overwhelm everything else in the orchestra. And then in the string bass, many cases, you'll have them in the very back on the right on stage left, and they are actually facing into the opposite wall 
or at an angle because even though they're a little slower, they're overwhelming. And so they actually need to be dissipated before they even leave the stage. And then the mid-range is literally in the mid-area of the stage. Uh, viola is typically straight out, pointing straight out at you, which is a little bit lower in frequency than the violin. And then the cellos, the upper range of the cello, and the clarinet, and then the larger, and often not that high of frequency trombones, are back in the back again. So there has been, historically, before there were speakers, the stage was the speaker, and the conductor had to figure out how to make sure that the mid-range of performers could be heard, but there wasn't the concept of, hey, let's just bust them out with the percussion and just deafen them with that low end, because that's, that's really exciting. We'll get more punch out of the <laughs> situation. I, I've always been intrigued by the gravitas, which I see behind you, and how the mid-range driver, can you tell me a little bit about that? And what's intriguing to me is that I, I like and I enjoy the performance of it. What does its location above the tweeter do for us as far as its uh, effectiveness? That's a great question, you know, and it does several things. And the most important one is the, the dampening of the energy from the mid-range. It's closer to the absorbing uh, straps that are uh, attached to the stand. So what uh, mechanical energy is transferred into the cabinet is soaked up um, sooner than if it was placed further away from the straps. So the energy is wicked away out of the cabinet more quickly uh, by having the mid-range closer to where it attaches. And the other thing that it does is it ends up having a more uh, matched distribution pattern to the tweeter from most listening positions that are um, fairly centered to pretty far off axis. And we did some testing just to confirm this and we tried uh, running the monitor with it in the conventional way, I guess, with a tweeter above. And it really ended up, um, I think, reducing some floor bounce. It's not a huge difference, but it was audible of just having it a little higher. But the, uh, the blend with the tweeter was better with the mid-range uh, above. And the concentric the nose of the mid-range, is that made out of copper? It is, and it's, it's a phase plug. So it's, uh, it serves two purposes. It's a heat sink for the voice coil itself. So it's a pretty high-performing uh, driver for being as small as it is. It can handle quite a bit of power. And it's a phase plug in the sense that it does um, balance out some of the frequency that, that leaves that area of the driver itself. Uh, to not have, it, it smooths out the sound wave, essentially. Okay, wow. So many interesting things about the Gravitas. 
so many interesting differences from other conventional speaker architectures. And I had a listener contact me and he had an interesting question I wanted to share with you. I'm kind of springing this on you, which you'll enjoy, I think. He asked, well, it's an interesting concept, the suspending of your speakers. Now I have these small monitor speakers. If I hang them from my ceiling, will they perform better? Now I didn't immediately respond because I felt like there's many variable contributors to why the Gravitas performs well, but it's not uniquely and specifically and only and predominantly just suspension and hanging, but also how and the relationship between the mass. What is your thoughts on just the tanks and speakers and see where we, how we go? Uh, well, you know, I admire the experimentation element of that. That's always fun to try out some things and just see what happens. In general, it's not going to help just any old speaker to do that because um, it really wasn't designed for that, predominantly from the cabinet side of things. Um, our cabinet, um, although it is physically small, it's fairly heavy. It weighs about 30 pounds. So it's, it's quite heavy for being as small as it is. So that's where the combination of that kind of weight that's loosely suspended from a really rigid and sonically inert stand. So we're lucky they were meant to go together. Mm -hmm. Like the ratio between yes. the mass and its size is what's important, not just its weight. Yes. Yep. That the balance between the two is everything. So um, I would say though, that there are a lot of loudspeakers that do benefit from decoupling. And the reason I say that is we've, we've done that with our IVCM isolation feet under gigantic speakers and <laughs> had pretty good results of just uh, actually, in fact, we haven't had one that sounded worse. So that was interesting to note. I, I think some probably would. Most of the ones we've tried them under were similarly high mass, really heavy, big floor standing stuff like your um, Tom, your magazine touted um, usual suspects. Right. One speaker I thought was particularly revealing for me was a Volvic speaker which is a completely different departure from what we do all wood and very large not really heavy but in its vernacular in which it kind of takes you back into the time of mid-century Rachmaninoff pipe smoking <laughs> uh, as a musical experience uh, which I enjoyed those speakers very much, but they certainly did perform better. And by that, I suggest better meaning more of the authentic character of the speaker was at home in the performance. So it was what one great poet, I think it was Ovid, uh, coined is it's mo better 
no, (laughs) more of what it is, is a good thing. And what was so intriguing was that those reference feet of the IBCM are amazing. I would like to say that it's, they're even earth shaking, but in fact, they're the opposite of that. They're (laughs) impactful because they don't, because they're not earth shakers. I remember those speakers not impressing me as far as the, my knees feeling a bunch of vibration, but instead we have, you know, the gravitas technology pretty much helping another speaker that's designed completely differently than the gravitas. So we have some universal qualities about the gravitas that are applicable in audio technology. Yeah. And it's the, uh, as you are well aware, the, our IVCM feet were developed as part of our gravitas product. And when we finished the isolation stand for the monitors, we thought that we should find some way of doing the same similar design for our subwoofers. And that's where those feet were initially thought of and produced was for that, for the subwoofers. And then the smaller version was made for other equipment such as turntables and players. Yeah, I really enjoy the use of them and many of our customers rave about the performance qualities of those feet. So it's always enlightening and certainly is, it never ceases to be surprising how well they perform with very delicate instruments such as a turntable. Uh, And yet you've been with me when we've done some practical testing, even with power distribution units, Mm -hmm. how that can be. So is something I will leave to others, but as a listener and performer and a musician and a person who has been subjected over 15 years in a dark room for four hours a day, listening to cable after cable. Mm -hmm. I appreciate something that actually improves such an experience. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to something that makes that less miserable. A lot of people see the, the day to day career in audiophile and not, we're not hobbyists by any stretch of the imagination. And when we do notice something that's improved, we would definitely want to find out what that was, whether or not we understand it or can explain it or articulate it accurately because it improves our quality of life in the workplace. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, well, so as far as the battle of the mid range, we have done a lot of things. We mean you and me are essentially you as the designer understanding first that this is a perception 
but could have some actual plausibility and it relates it's relatively a reality if there's been a history of over accentuation of base mm -hmm. in monitors and so really it is not just a perception but it really perhaps has been brought about by a desire for designers to meet a public desire to to get more bass going in the monitor so they can basically not have big speakers but sound like big speakers uh what do you think is the best quality of the gravitas in mid-range i would say that the the sound character is one that just has a lot of air and space around it more so than any other speaker i've listened to so i would say the layering and just the depth of the mid is really is really deep and layered and very transparent and most of the people who have just walked into a room at a show that we're doing and and were just awestruck when they after they listen for a while they commented that the this the monitors and the whole system is just very sonically invisible and there's just a lot of air and space and that's a huge compliment uh, i think for any designer and certainly on the speaker side is they they have great detail and imaging but they don't uh, overdo it and so they're just a really balanced and natural sound and i think a lot of people like that so balanced and natural sound yeah and that means that the mid-range driver evidently is of a very fine quality the workmanship is top notch and of course for some of our clients who are considering having us visit into their reference space and doing a demonstration I'm particularly confident in saying so, that they are very high performance, very high quality, but I can say it because I know that when we show up, I will not have to excuse myself and <clears throat> leave at lunchtime without telling anybody because I know that it will perform as I have just said. So, um, Thanks so much, Luke. I appreciate taking some time with me today. This has been uh, a really interesting, and I encourage our listeners to do your own practical investigation and experimentation, two important aspects of a scientific method that seem to be today in very short supply. Theories are they're fun. Theories are entertaining. But practical investigation, firsthand experience, experimentation, and consideration about what you just tested is something that we highly recommend. And that's why, in my opinion, Luke and I have helped develop a better system for our clients so 
and I think it's great about any other suggestions that you all have, or if you're going to try things at home, I think that's what it's all about is trying new things at home, experimenting with them. And uh, so thanks for your time, Luke, again. This is Mino Cristante, Luke Zitterkopf, Illuminous Audio, and this has been Weekend Environments, a Sanctuary of Sound. Take care, Luke. Thanks, Mino. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Weekend Environments, a Sanctuary of Sound.